Hello and welcome to the Robot Podcast. I'm Fran Scott, maker, presenter and all-around engineering geek. In each episode, we'll be finding out how robots are pushing the boundaries of possibility and supporting businesses to make a more sustainable world. From the way we farm our food to how we package it, from 3D printing ocean waste into furniture to transforming cars into pieces of art, robotic technology is absolutely transforming our industries to reach an innovative and planet friendly future it's really cool kind of reminded me of like something from a film and i also liked that it had the sustainability element in there as well it's really good the stuff it's made is really nice yeah it's so cool seeing something like that and the messaging behind it's awesome what on earth could all those people be talking about? Well, keep on listening to find out, because today on the Robot Podcast, we are going shopping. And love it or loathe it, I am definitely in that latter camp. It is undeniably huge business. In fact, in 2021, the global retail market generated sales of are you ready? More than 26 trillion US dollars with a forecast to reach over 30 trillion US dollars by 2024. We're not strangers to the retail sector here at the Robot Podcast. Last series, we discussed the logistics behind online shopping. But today, we're going to be looking at the shop itself. We're going to discover what role that physical store plays nowadays in our increasingly online world and how robots are transforming the way we shop. We'll hear from Ali Raja, ABB Robotics Global Marketing and Sales Director, who will discuss how ABB are thinking of this retail space. And I'll chat with Manuel Garcia, the co-founder of Nagami, a design brand in Spain who use ABB Robotics to create their work. And this is work from household items like lamps and chairs to much bigger and grander architectural structures. But first, we're going to hear from the amazing Doug Stevens, who is one of the world's foremost retail industry futurists. His work has influenced many of the most well-known international retailers, agencies and brands from Walmart, Google, Estee Lauder and BMW. Our producer, Jack Claremont, spoke with Doug and started by asking if the role of the physical retail space is changing. Yeah, very much so. And I would say changing to an extent that is not yet being fully appreciated in the retail industry. But if you if you pan out and you sort of look at the concept of retail, we've essentially lived from the industrial revolution until very recently with a fairly similar construct of what retail is all about. Uh, the idea that you use media to make consumers aware of your products, and hopefully you, you instigate some sort of action. You drive them to a point of distribution, uh, whether that's online or offline. That's changed. In a remarkably short period of time, call it 30 years, 40 years, that entire construct has essentially blown up. And we find ourselves today uh, in a world where media is increasingly no longer just a call out to go to retail, Media is retail. 
the experiences that we have online every day, whether they're social experiences, entertainment experience, communication experiences, all of these experiences now have been melded with commerce uh, and retail has become ambient. You know, it's just sort of dispersed into the ether and it's all around us. But on the flip side, physical stores today are no longer simply a point of distribution for product. In fact, the pandemic sort of pointed out what an inefficient means of product distribution they are. But what they are effective at is uh, communicating brand messages and drawing consumers in a physical way into a brand ecosystem. And therefore, my conclusion is they are a media channel, first and foremost, and a means of customer acquisition. So the entire model for retail in about 30 years has been completely turned on its head. And most retailers today are, have not adapted fully to that, uh, to that momentous change. So obviously, companies are still seeing lots of benefits to having a store, to having a physical retail space, but the environment itself is changing. So how are brands looking differently at that in-store customer experience? Well, I mean, you know, again, if, if we step back not that long ago, the primary purpose of a physical store in the marketplace was to provide a level of access on the part of a consumer to either brands or products that otherwise they wouldn't have access to. And so what do you do then when you live in a world where access is ubiquitous, where I can literally have virtually anything in the world on my doorstep two, two or three days from now? Um, if access to product and access to brands is no longer the issue, then what is the issue? Um, and, and so I think brands are beginning to realize that whereas we used to provide products with a modicum of service and maybe customer experience sort of applied like a garnish or a side dish, that now the experience increasingly is the dish and that the product is really the souvenir <laughs> of a great experience. Brands are, are uh, certainly focusing more or at least talking more about focusing on experiences. What, where, where our work is important, I think, is defining what that means, defining precisely what customer experience means in a practical way. How do you stage a customer experience? How do you design that? How do you execute it? And how do you know when you've really delivered against expectations and and certainly consumer expectations are are um, are escalating around this all the time so the focus uh, today i think uh, among those retailers that really understand what's happening is that they understand that they live in a world where nobody needs what they sell primarily they need how they sell it and uh, and so that has become the focus for for a lot of enterprising brands what an insight there from Doug into this this retail industry of which I am so naive, it seems, about. And I, for one, quite selfishly, can't wait until the shops become more experiential because I don't like going in them now, but I could see that I perhaps would in the future. And there is no doubt that the nature of shopping is changing and will change more in the future. And so, of course, companies are looking at how they use their physical shop differently. But this is the robot podcast. And so where do robots come into play with all of this? Well, 
Ali Raja is ABB Robotics Global Marketing and Sales Director. And I spoke with him to try and understand how ABB are addressing and becoming part of this future of retail. You know, if you look at the major trends affecting the retail industry at the moment, one big one is around personalization. So this is, you know, one size does not fit all. The other thing which is really big nowadays is sustainability. We all care about the planet and people are actually willing to pay more or changing their buying behaviors or brands that they use purely based on you know, their sustainability score. You can use automation to save on packaging, so reducing waste. There's also examples where you can do 3D printing. A couple of other things that are really happening in, across the retail space. One is around micro-fulfillment. So basically, this is the idea of combining the e-commerce and the traditional bricks-and-mortar shops. Some people call it the omni-channel delivery. But the idea is basically that you turn your retail stores into small fulfillment centers where customers can buy online and then they can come and collect and store to keep your stores still having a nice customer experience and not turn them in completely into a warehouse you need to make sure that your automation is tucked away it's very compact somewhere in the back store or corner that's where you know it becomes very important to have some kind of automation otherwise it would take up too much floor space we see that this is one of the really fast-growing areas for automation within the retail space. I think the last thing I want to mention here is the retailtainment trend. It's also called you know, the mixed-use retail space or multi-purposing of the high street. And there's several examples of that. You know, Basically, it's having the retail space not just for people to buy things, but also to have an experience. Uh, using more interactive ways to engage customers. People talk about the store of the future, and that's more than just a store. It's an experience center, but it's also a place where you can come and hang out and you can play games or watch a movie or get involved in other kinds of activities. And shopping is just one part of that. So this whole trend is also playing a very important role in adoption of automation and then using automation to also capture data, which then feeds into the other three trends, which is the sustainability and the personalization and uh, micro-fulfillment. In terms of when it comes to automation, why should retailers consider investing in automation? That's a great question, Fran. And I would say this because it makes sense from a number of perspectives. First and foremost, it's a good customer experience. You can deliver superior customer experience if you automate some of the repetitive, mundane, or even sometimes dangerous and dull tasks so that your staff can focus more on engaging the customers and interacting with them. The other thing, we are living now in a post-pandemic world. Human interaction is great and we all love that, but there are times where you know you need to keep some social distance. So there, you know, automation can play a very important role in making sure that the environment is sanitary, there's no cross-contamination, just making better use of available resources. Understood, understood. And these reasons just come up time and time again in the robot podcast, and they, they're just not going away. This is what 
automation and robotics, the, the advantage that it has. Ali, there's that there's that age old concern, isn't there, that robots will come in and they will take our jobs. But that's not actually, well, one, it's not the truth, but also it's not what we're seeing because we're seeing globally that there is this huge lack of workforce. And in this slightly post-pandemic world, this is where the robots can really come to help, isn't it, with this huge workforce shortage? Absolutely. I mean, this is more true now than ever before. You know, We've been talking about this for years. And if you look at the situation today, there are retail shops and restaurants and other spaces simply they're unable to remain open because they don't have staff, especially in the retail and entertainment hospitality sector. So I think especially now we have to accept that for businesses to be competitive and more efficient, they need automation. And the more efficient they are, the better jobs they're able to create for people. It just makes complete sense. And um, so when it does come to using robots in retail applications, could you give us some examples of that? An example that I always like to share is the ABB Flex Buffer storage and retrieval system. During the height of lockdown, where all the shops were shut down, one of our customers had the idea to create robotic kiosks and they placed them all over in different shopping malls all over China, which remained open 24-7. And because there were no shop attendants or people, it was a fully automated kiosk. People were still able to go and order things. So Ali, this is much more than just a vending machine. It's an automated kiosk. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, you can interact with this kiosk in the same way that you would interact with a person. So all of the basic services that you expect, for example, the ability to look at different products, choose from a selection, try and even return a product. So you can do all of those things at an automated kiosk. If you look at things like pharmacy automation, uh, where providing a 24-7 service can have a huge impact you know, on the lives of people. There's another example of uh, using automation Self-Rages, for example, in, in the UK, where we have used a Yumi robot for serving and dispensing coffee. I think where we, one more area where you know this robotic automation comes in very handy is uh, in the personalization space. And you know nowadays, everybody wants to have something which is unique to them or different or simple things like you can personalize a KitKat bar and write your name on it. These type of things can be done relatively easily when you have utilizing robotic automation and 3D printing. It can turn a very simple thing into a very special gift for somebody. Now, I haven't seen that one, but I don't live too far away and I did see a big robot arm in Selfridges. Can you tell me a bit more about that recent collaboration and what it was that you were hoping to achieve with it? Yes, I think that's that's a great one. And this one was a robot. It's actually one of the bigger industrial robots, which we were using to 3D print personalized items like furniture. And the interesting thing about it is that the raw material that we were using was recycled plastic, which is collected from the oceans. This is not just making something useful for people, 
It's also about you know, being able to clean our oceans. I think this is really a beautiful example of how automation can help with sustainability. Absolutely, absolutely. And I found it quite powerful to see, you know, on this busy shopping high street in the window, this huge robot arm making things right there. And so it was just like there would be no transport involved. You know, it was making what was needed at the place it was needed from recycled plastics. But when it comes to sustainability, it's in a way, it's not just about the materials that you use, but it's also about all the peripheral, I suppose, um, impacts on the planet. So the storage, um, the transport and all of that lot. And I suppose when it comes to transport and supply chains, it's not just with sustainability in mind, but it's also political things. So recently with the situation in Ukraine and also in terms of here in the UK with Brexit, that is slowing supply chains. So when it comes to robotic automation, how can that help us with these supply chain issues and can it help us at all? If you look at robotic automation, the first thing you think about is, you know, energy efficiency, less wastage, more accurate processes, so, you know, even less packaging waste. So these are some of the basic things you would expect. But because of the recent, you know, demographic and also geopolitical changes around the world, one major trend that we start to hear about is reshoring or deglobalization. In the last couple of decades, the idea was that you move your production to low-cost countries and then you ship everything from there. And we all know that's not very easy in today's world. You know, we have bottlenecks everywhere with the logistics, the oil prices and crisis. More and more countries are now thinking to bring the production back. So, Ali, if we do look to the future, right, what tasks will we see the robots actually performing in the retail sector? And I suppose I'm quite excited about this. And how excited are you about it? We're extremely excited. You know, when we think about what will be the opportunities in the retail sector, I think one big one which will continue to grow and maybe even become mainstream in the near future is this micro-fulfillment, even nano-fulfillment. And I'll try and explain a little bit about the ideas. We're all familiar with the idea of buying online and then we can go and collect and store, or we can go to a store and return the items that we purchase. So that facility you have already today, but there are some limitations still. For example, the service levels that you can achieve today are at best next day delivery in most cases, but if you make that even to a smaller scale, so instead of micro, if you talk about nano fulfillment, for a few selected range of products that everybody uses very frequently, you will be able to order online and collect within a few minutes. I loved that conversation with Ali and just that insider knowledge into it, which is what all of our ABB experts seem to just 
give us in absolutely bucket loads. And one thing that Ali mentioned was the Selfridges project, the one that ABB worked on alongside Parley for the Oceans and Nagami and was centered around reusing ocean waste. And we're going to turn our focus to one of those companies now, and it's Nagami, who are a brand design based in Spain, and they use 3D printing to create beautiful objects. I spoke to Manuel Garcia, one of the co-founders, about their Selfridges project, amongst other things. But Manuel started by explaining how Nagami work with ABB and what are the challenges that we need to overcome. Currently, we only recycle 9% of the plastic that is produced. There is eight times more weight in plastic waste than in people. That number is expected to grow to 20 times in 2050. So we need to do something about it. That is a a very good construction material, right? If we would manage to use all that material that has been accumulated for producing objects, interiors, or if we could actually even push it to the domain of architecture, we could actually clean the planet from waste very quickly. So Manuel, I paid a visit to Selfridges earlier this year and I saw something in the window that intrigued me. Can you explain a little bit about what I saw and how Nagami collaborated with ABB and Selfridges in this window and why? Yeah, so you saw a a robot printing furniture on the man in the corner shop, which as (laughs) as an outline was uh, already quite a... Quite an ambitious project. So we've been collaborating with ABB and Parley for the Oceans for quite a while now. And this is our second show together, uh, demonstrating the capacity of this technology to be very quickly deployed outside the central factory, right? It was a really fascinating experience how seeing people's reaction to, you know, not only seeing a robot printing on a window display, but actually thinking about the consequences of that for the world where we live in right now and the way we produce and, and consume. So what you were doing in this window is Parley for the Oceans is collecting this plastic waste, giving it to you in a form that you can use, and then you're using this plastic, what that was waste but is now usable material, to live print in front of customers an object that you can then sell to them there and there so they could have done adjustments and then in a few hours come and pick up their chair or vase or lampshade. Yes, yes, exactly. So we take the recycled plastic that is already processed in the shape of uh, pellets so that we can use in our extrusion system and then, yeah, just continuously create uh, new objects with it. Of course, this really depends on how many objects you have in your printing queue. You could go to the to surfaces, check what you want to print, and then print your own in your own colors, just especially made for you. You think it, you imagine it, you model it in the computer, and sometimes in just a matter of hours, you're sitting on that object. So this is in situ shop printing, I suppose, isn't it? It's taking mm-hmm. it it's taking the manufacturing to the retail outlet. How revolutionary do you think that is and it's going to be in the future? This is uh, changing completely the conception of production 
and the way we consume, right? So is getting production much closer to the consumer. This has huge implications in industry, right? So in, in manufacturing, of course, first of all, you distribute your manufacturing lines much more. You make them very light, right? Very lightweight. You can produce only those products that are needed and uh, you can produce them much closer to the consumer. Hence, you are obviously reducing the CO2 emissions coming, coming from, from transport. But it also opens up a completely new uh, field of possibilities for customers to create their own products, right? To get everything personalized, to know that this is not a chair or a lampshade, but it's actually your own. And you can decide how it's going to look before it gets made because it will be made only a few hours later, right? This is the changing the, the landscape of shopping, right? Completely. No? We will, of course, need to redefine what a shop is no? and what a factory is. And so is a, a shop now also a factory? Is the factory happening close by? Um, what is the level of interaction that a customer will have? What is the role of the, of the digital in all this? Like, can you be at home and then prepare your object, customize it, and then uh, pick it up in your closers 3D printing hub? These whole new questions about uh, production and logistics that are starting to emerge and that are uh, opening up an incredibly fascinating world. What are the other benefits that it brings to to craftsmanship and manufacturing industries like yours? Well, 3D printing is is now actually acknowledged as a, one of the technologies to be developed much further in the, in the future, not only because the possibility of using recycled materials and so on, but also because it's an incredibly clean, compact, versatile uh, technology. So just with a small machine, an industrial robot, and a printing bed, an extruder, you can create different objects continuously. You can jump from, from a table to a lampshade to a wall to a smaller object, and you don't need to set up a manufacturing chain to create a large stock of those objects and then trying to sell them. So you can actually produce only what you sell. You can produce on demand. Right, so that is an incredible advantage of of three D printing that goes beyond uh, just the use of a very sustainable material, such as in this case, recycled plastics. Being such a short production chain and such a versatile and compact machinery, also makes very easy to use it in a distributed manner. So you can print and produce much closer to the consumer. Right, if you have a large project, you can set up a robot or a few robots to then materialize that project almost on site, right? Or uh, very close and hence reducing CO2 emissions, right? And it's reducing CO2 emissions because you save on transporting the product and storing it. Exactly. So avoiding centralization would inevitably reduce the carbon footprint that we use in in transport, right? Because it, it would be much, much shorter distances. That sounds incredible. And I suppose for me, what makes me think about this is in a way it's going back to those artisan crafts of where, you know, yes, you could get personalized objects, but they took time and you have to pay a lot for it. Whereas now we're sort of getting personalization for the normal people, for the masses, aren't we? 
Yes, absolutely. I think one of the huge advantages of, uh, of 3D printing is that it, it's situated in between mass production and then inevitably craftsmanship. So if you want your exclusive product that is made with love and passion by a designer and a craftsman, and you need to pay a large sum. 3D printing is kind of in between. So it is much uh, more versatile than uh, mass manufacturing, and it can introduce this level of personalization, right? You can immerse yourself in the design process and decide you know, what kind of features are suiting your personality better or your necessities, your needs, right? Yeah, or your shape. Yes, exactly. I mean, I could name like millions of uh, uh, very weird requests that we got from customers say, oh, can you print a vase that is exactly the height of my girlfriend or <laughs> things, things like that, no? <laughs> I really want this in these specific colors because they, they signify something for me, right? And that makes the object special. It makes it unique. But now that world starts to become accessible. And that is, that is, again, an incredible experience. What I loved about that conversation with Manuel is he put such context into what I saw in Selfridge's window and actually made me see it from a completely different angle than I initially did. And in a way, it got me thinking about all the different things that I would like 3D printed for myself, which is basically everything, um, including the building in which my belongings are in. I couldn't think of anything quicker and more efficient. So now I, I am on board, Manuel. But um, unfortunately, um, I've got to go and build my 3D printed house. And um, so that is it for this week. But a massive thank you to Doug Stevens, Ali Raja, and of course, Manuel Garcia. Next week, we turn our focus to art. Now, have you ever wondered if robots can be creative? We'll be chatting with an artist who says he can prove that they can be just that. But for now, I'm Fran Scott. The Robot Podcast is a Fresh Air production for ABB. If you want to find out more about robotics at ABB, there's a link in the show notes. And remember to follow or subscribe now for free wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Part of the ABB Decoded series. 